Attention Austin homeowners! The Environmental Protection Agency lists poor indoor air quality as one of the top five risks to public health. Air inside your home can be much more polluted than outside air, leading to serious conditions like bronchitis and asthma, even cancer. Don't risk your family's health. Discover how to easily improve your home's air quality and breathe freely again. Call Gold Eagle Services now at 877-90-EAGLE or go to goldeagleservices.com. Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. So where do you stand on the vaccine issue? It is certainly a polarizing issue and one that needs to be discussed. Are vaccines safe? Do they cause autism? Is there a legitimate risk posed by children who are not vaccinated? With all the information on both sides of the debate, it can be difficult to find fact-based research that gets to the bottom of all of this. Fortunately, our guest today, Ty Bollinger, has produced an amazing documentary series that brings together over 60 of the world's foremost health experts to investigate both sides of this very contentious debate to give you the science, the history, and the untold story. Ty is a best-selling author, health advocate, and the filmmaker behind the hit series, The Truth About Cancer. And he's here to share with us some of the incredible vaccine facts we need to know to protect our children and ourselves. Welcome back to Living Wealthy Radio, Ty. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm looking forward to having a a really enlightening conversation today about vaccines. Absolutely. So you produced quite the educational docu-series about alternative cancer treatments. So what led you to investigate the whole vaccine issue? Yeah, that's it was that's a great question. It was a natural progression actually because one of the things that I learned Teresa as I was researching cancer treatments was the fact that there's a lot of implication in vaccines into certain health issues including cancer. So it was it was kind of a natural progression to go from cancer to vaccines, especially in light of the fact that one of the things that I did cover in the last uh documentary that we did on cancer it was called The Truth About Cancer: A Global Quest. I interviewed several experts, including a couple of uh, vaccine experts in the Netherlands that discussed the way that the the, uh, polio vaccine from the late 1950s had been implicated in causing cancer because it was laced with simian virus 40. And SV40 has caused several different types of leukemias and lymphomas since then. And so I I got those interviews and I said, is that is that true? Is that real? I mean, did that really happen? And so I started looking back at some past articles and you can see that that as far as 2002 in The Lancet, they published a a study uh, that had been done. It was I think it was a retrospective study on lymphomas and leukemias and showed that there was upwards of 100,000 cases that they could directly trace to the polio vaccine. And uh, But if that weren't enough, then I went to the National Cancer Institute website and the American Cancer Society website. They both admit that because of the fact that it was laced with simian 40, the polio vaccine has been implicated in cancer. So it was a natural progression from there. And the Lancet is certainly not a anti-vaccine 
uh, resource, right? No. Um, they are. Tell us, for, for those who don't know, who The Lancet is. Yeah, Lancet a, is a, one of the most reputable medical journals in the United Kingdom. And so if something's published in The Lancet, it's mainstream. And so, I, you know, I, I quoted that just because it's, it's really mainstream now. It's, it's common knowledge that the, the SV40-laced polio vaccines have contributed to hundreds of thousands of cases of cancer since that time. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in the, in the prologue here was that, you know, you're either uh, pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. You mentioned those terms, not necessarily that, they, that, that that's a, a true analysis of where you people should stand, but you mentioned those words. And, and that, that made me think of the fact that this is really kind of a um, – it's kind of a false dichotomy that, that is created with vaccines to where people think they have to either be for all of them or against all of them. Um, and so it throws people into one of two boats. And that's the way I was – you know, that's the way I placed people before doing this docu-series as well. And what, it, what this really led me to believe is that that's, those, are, those are not necessarily the only two positions. There's, most people actually are not in either of those. Most people are somewhere in the middle where they're not sure if vaccines are safe or effective. Some might be, some might not be. They're not against them all. They're not for them all. They're just somewhere in the middle, and they just want to know the truth about a particular vaccine. So that was one of the things that really that, that I kind of changed going through this whole thing is that you need to look at vaccines on a on a vaccine by vaccine basis as opposed to saying I'm anti-vaccine or I'm pro-vaccine because they're all different. It'd be like me saying, you know, I'm I'm pro uh, I'm pro pharmaceutical drugs. Well, what is it, what exactly does that mean? Well. I'm not for Vioxx, um, but I might be for some other drug that might be taken for another uh, condition that actually helps that condition. So you can't lump them all together is what I'm saying. And that's one of the things that I learned going through this is we need to look at vaccines on a vaccine-by-vaccine basis and not necessarily be against them all or for them all. I I think that's very, very well said. Uh, And I wanted, you know, our listeners to know The Lancet is like the uh, American Medical Association, you know, the journal for the American Medical Association, that it is a resource that would be considered um, by most people, by the mainstream, as being legit, and I put that in quotation marks, not that other resources or other research studies aren't legit, but, but you know, the world looks at the Lancet or the world looks at the Journal of the American Medical Association and gives it a lot of credibility and a lot of credence, right? And right, if the right. Lancet or... Um, the journal is saying, here's a connection between this vaccine and cancer. Um, it, it's, I think, from a mainstream perspective, considered um, more so than if it was a, a researcher that nobody had, had heard of, right? And so true, this is someone true, within yes. the medical community saying there is this connection, there is this nexus, and 100,000 cases is not an accident, it's not an aberration. No, that, that's, that's certainly true, Teresa. The, the thing is, though, that they would say that was because these vaccines were, were contaminated with monkeypox, which we know monkeypox has caused cancer. So they wouldn't necessarily say that we should be concerned about all vaccines in the cancer league. That would be just a particular one. However, I, that vaccine is what led me to begin researching other vaccines. And the reality mm-hmm. is we have I mean, we can look at the package inserts on vaccines to see what's in them. The CDC publishes the vaccine inserts. They publish the ingredients on, in the vaccines. And it's, a, it's, it's astounding what's in some of these vaccines that is admitted on the CDC's website. It's called the excipient table that they publish. 
And we have everything from formaldehyde to aluminum to mercury to um, antifreeze to aborted fetal tissue in, in vaccines. And we know that certain of these ingredients have been linked to cancer. Um, it, but here's the thing. When they tell you that vaccines are safe and effective, well, we, we just believe it because that's what they say. But have they actually been proven to be safe and effective? And so the reason I ask that is that on the package insert of dozens of vaccines that I can produce the insert for you if you want to see them, they're all over the Internet for all the way from the MMR to the DPT to all the different vaccines that are required in the CDC schedule. The vaccines say on the package insert they have not been tested for mutagenicity or carcinogenicity, specifically the flu vaccine. You can go out there and see that right now. Has not been tested to see if it causes cancer or if it causes gene mutations. So my question to you this is this, Teresa. How can anybody believe that they are safe if on the actual package inserts it says they have not been tested to see if they cause cancer or damage DNA? I mean, it seems like that the position that everyone should come from is that vaccines are not proven safe at this point, because that's what the inserts say. And then we go from that position to, okay, let's see the studies that, that, where they have been proven that they do not cause cancer, that they do not alter genes. And then we could maybe move towards the position that vaccines are safe. But we should start with the position that they are not safe, because that's what the inserts say. Hmm. So very confusing, right, to so many people. Yeah. Why is this such a heated and emotional conversation? Is it because vaccines are uh, like a rite of passage, so to speak, for children? The, the reason that, it's, that it is such a hot button is because there's so much stinking money that's generated from the vaccine industry each year. That's the only reason. It's not because they've been proven to be safe, because the inserts say they haven't. It's not because they've been proven to be effective, because when, when they tell us that vaccines are safe and effective, they the effective part means that they have been shown to create an antibody response, which is true. They do create an antibody response. That's, what, that's the purpose of vaccines. But I got my hands on a paper that Dr. Sherry Tenpenny gave me from the Center for Biologics and Evaluation Research, which is a, a, a branch of the CDC. And in that paper, this was like an internal document. It was, it was multiple hundred pages long. These are discussions going on within that branch. They said that they have learned that the antibody response being generated does not necessarily protect you from the disease that you're being injected to be, prote to be protected from. So not only... Do the inserts say they're not safe or haven't been proven to be safe? The fact that they we're told that they're effective, they've changed the definition of effective on us to where it's, it's effective at creating an antibody response, but they admit now the antibody response doesn't necessarily protect you from the disease. So in light of that fact that they haven't been proven to be safe and they're not necessarily effective, why would they be mandated by the CDC for every newborn baby in the United States and upwards of 70 doses of vaccines? by the time they get into school. Well, the only reason could be that there's a heck of a lot of money being generated to sell the, can you imagine, Teresa, if you, look, I, I'm, I'm just all over the board here because it, it just excites me to talk about this and it, it disgusts me to talk about this too. At the same, it's so alarming. But 
Can you imagine if you had a business where you had a product that was mandated to be used by everyone that was born in the United States, but if you damaged them, you could not be sued because that's, no, where, an, the vaccine, that's where the vaccine industry is today. No, it's an ideal business model, right? Um, yeah. Make it mandatory, uh, which means I'm absolutely going to get revenue um, from a company perspective, right? And I am not incentivized to put a product out into the marketplace that ensures safety because I can never be sued. I've got, um, you, you know, I'm judgment proof. I'm, I'm yep. liability proof. It is ideal, right? It's a perfect product. You couldn't invent this. You couldn't dream this up. In fact, if it was fiction, you'd say it wouldn't exist, but it's, it's our reality. It is. It is. That, now, that's, the, that's the scary thing is that this is reality with the vaccine industry. They cannot be sued. And their product is mandated. It is, it is the best business model you could ever dream of, and it's reality for the vaccine industry. And what's very confusing, um, Bill Gates just recently talked about um, or had a, a, a PR piece out on, you know, the 16 million reasons to be optimistic about polio and how we're so close to eradicating polio, which the connection most people would make is, oh, the polio vaccine obviously works because we're eradicating polio worldwide. And you just said that the CDC said that there's, you know, there's no connection between um, the vaccines being effective. So which is it? It's so confusing. Right, right. The CDC says that, they're, that they're, they're creating an antibody response does not necessarily protect you from that disease. So they admit that they're not necessarily all that effective at preventing disease. They're just effective at creating an antibody response. But here's the thing. That's what most people say that. Well, if vaccines didn't work, well, what about polio? Why don't we have polio, right? Vaccines clearly wiped out polio. Well, there's a couple things with that. Number one, the, vac the, uh, the usage of vac or the, the vaccine injuries um, that, that are, or, I'm sorry, polio injury is very, very similar to injury from DDT poisoning. If you look at the symptoms of polio, and uh, uh, the, the side effects of DDT, you'll see that they, they almost mirror each other. In other words, it's very hard to distinguish if somebody has been poisoned by DDT because it can cause paralysis. It can, it can cause a, a whole line of symptoms the same as being, uh, being diagnosed with polio could. Very difficult to distinguish. One thing that you will see if you look at the graphs of the usage of DDT and DDT, they used to spray all over the United States to get rid of the mosquitoes because they're afraid the mosquitoes carried all these diseases, which sometimes they do. But they, they would spray DDT literally in, in schoolhouses full of children. They would sp spray cafeterias. I've seen videos where they literally, the kids are sitting there eating, and they spray mm. DDT, and you can't even see the kids. They would spray pools with, filled with children and the, the DD, mm. with DDT. And you could see the rise of, of polio-like symptoms would, would, would mirror the increase in the usage of DDT. So, number one, we're not, there, there, there's never been proved that the polio virus actually caused the polio-like the polio symptoms that we were seeing. Number two, in 1955 July, when they introduced the first vaccine for polio, it was the oral polio vaccine introduced by Jonas Salk. The same month, July 1955, and this is no coincidence in my opinion, they changed the definition of polio to where it's much more difficult to diagnose polio. Before, anything that showed paralytic symptoms that had a whole list of different um, physical uh, maladies could be called polio. So there was, it was a very wide definition. 
July 1955, they introduced the polio vaccine, the oral polio, and they changed the definition of polio to where it was much harder to diagnose, much more stringent. So after that, what happened to the, the incidence of polio in the United States? Well, Teresa, by George, it went down. But was it because the vaccine worked or was it because they changed the definition of polio to where it's much harder to diagnose? So in other words, just to make it a simple analogy, let's say that in the United States right now, in the year 2017, the definition of somebody that's obese is someone that weighs over 300 pounds. But next month, the FDA unleashes its weight loss anti-obesity pill. And guess what? The same month, the FDA changes the definition of obesity to where you have to weigh over 400 pounds to be considered obese. Well, what's going to happen immediately after? The incidence of obesity decreased the last month in the United States. It went down 42%. Well, why did, they, did it go down because of their anti-obesity pill? Or did it go down because they changed the definition of obesity? So how does the average consumer who is not engrossed in the details and the research, how do they make a a good decision regarding vaccines? Because there's so much information on, and and I'm going to go back to the both camps, right? The anti-vaxxers and the the pro-vaxxers, because there's, it seems to be that there's a lot of that information out there. And I get what you're saying, which is, look, don't go into a boat. It's very specific to the vaccines, right? It's, you yes. can be – so I get that. But the majority of the information is one camp or the other. So if I'm right. a consumer and I want to be informed and I want to make the best decision for myself and my children, how do I navigate through all of this information? Because most people – yeah. are exhausted. They're trying to do the best they can, and they're overwhelmed. To go into yeah. this rabbit hole, right, I think most people come out more confused than informed. Some people do. But, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a shameless plug to our documentary. If you haven't seen The Truth About Vaccines, which you can watch most of it online for free, go watch it because it will help you to navigate this rabbit hole of vaccines. Um, so number one, the people, what people can do is educate themselves. And I, I really believe that people are much more intelligent than we give them credit for. So I think that people, when presented with this information in a logical, concise fashion, they can make good decisions. Here's, here's something that I would recommend that they do as well. If you, if you go to your pediatrician and you talk about, you know, should my kid get this vaccine or that vaccine or whatever, <clears throat> ask them, to, to name the ingredients in that vaccine. Just ask them. Don't, don't give them any kind of a warning. Just say, would you please let me know what is in the MMR vaccine? Don't let them look at their cheat sheet. Don't ask them what's in it and see if they can tell you. 99.9% chance they won't. So at that point, then you ask your doc, doc, how can you tell me the, that these are safe, that you know this will be safe to my child when you don't know what's in it? Because even as Del Bigtree said in the interview that I did with him with The Truth About Vaccines, even a chef knows all the ingredients in all of his recipes. Even a mechanic knows the oils and the fluids and the size of the screw to put on all the bolts in the cars. They know their, their field. Why don't we hold doctors to that same level of, of knowledge? Why can we let a pediatrician get away with injecting our newborn child with a vaccine? They don't know what's in it. Now, if they know what's in it, then... You, at that point, if they actually do know what's in it, if you got one of the one of the one percent or less than one percent that actually knows, then 
let's go through the list and say, Doc, can you, can you explain to me why you think that the flu vaccine is safe when it contains over 250 micrograms of tamarisol, which has been proven to be a known neurotoxin? How can that be safe for my baby? And then have a discussion from there. But the reality is I think that most people at that point, what they need to do is get under the, under the care of a doctor that is open, that is open to looking outside the box and to thinking non-conventionally because the conventional doctor says get the vaccine. The problem is the conventional doctor has not ever been trained in medical school on what's in a vaccine. They've never been educated. They do not know. And so they just accept it on blind faith. And so at that point, uh, Teresa, it really becomes more of a religion than science because if you accept something, if a doctor, a pediatrician accepts the fact that that MMR vaccine is safe for your child, and injects that child with it, but does not know what it, what's in it, then they are not making a scientific decision. They are placing blind faith in the CDC. And like I said, at that point, this is a religion, not science. So let's shift the discussion to the connection between childhood vaccines and autism. Uh-huh. In all of your research, have you found evidence to support that vaccines can, or certain vaccines can cause or contribute to autism? Oh, uh, uh, certainly. Um, the DPT vaccine and the MMR are two. Uh, as a matter of fact, the DPT vaccine until 2012, the Sanofi uh, Pasteur version of the DPT, it was called the Tripedia vaccine. On the package insert, it said side effects, one of the known side effects was autism. So that's not really uncovering any research. That was me just reading the package insert. Now, since that time, they pulled it off of the market because they got so much heat from that, but they put back on another one on the market that is exactly the same, made the same way. They just took that side effect off. So there's no doubt the DPT has been linked to autism and specifically the MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella. That, and it's not, this is not like I've done a great investigative job of reporting here. This is what the CDC knew and admitted in their own documents. It was the case of the, the whistleblower, William Thompson. It was chronicled in the documentary Vax by Andy Wakefield and Del Bigtree and Polly Tommy. They just they, they reviewed the story. They put it into a movie form of how um, Dr. William Thompson admitted to Dr. Brian Hooker on telephone calls that were recorded that you can listen to now and you can read all the transcripts that the CDC knew as far back as 2001 that there was an increased risk in autism in black baby boys from the MMR vaccine, and they decided to what they called, quote, embargo the data, which means they decided to not release it. And not only did they not release the data, they ordered a good old book burning party, not really a burning, but they ordered CDC employees to get together and throw away, literally throw away all the documents that supported the autism MMR link. Uh, thank God, Dr. William Thompson, he, and in, these are in his own statements, he said he, he thought this was illegal to destroy data, so he kept a copy. And that's the only reason we know this is that you know, now 15, 16, 17 years later from when that first happened, I'm not too good at math, sorry, uh, 16 years later after that first happened, we now know that the CDC knew without a shadow of a doubt that the MMR vaccine was causing autism, and they decided not to release the data but to destroy documents. So those are, those are two situations where we know that there has been a link to autism, and I don't know how anybody could dispute that. So what, what they do is instead of disputing the data, they say, well, you shouldn't watch Vaxxed because Vaxxed was produced by Andy Wakefield, who is a discredited doctor in the UK, which he's really, 
he, he did nothing wrong, and we could get into that if you want to, but they, just, they, they attacked the messenger, they attacked the producer of the film rather than argue with the data. Because they can't argue with the data, because the data is public knowledge that the CDC knew MMR caused autism, and they buried it. Was anybody held accountable at the CDC? No one has been held accountable. And that's, that's my next question, Teresa, is why? Why has no one been held accountable? Because when you do the calculations, and I, and I, and I think I am getting this number correct, over a million black baby boys since that time would have been diagnosed with autism because of that shot that they knew caused autism, and nobody has been held accountable. That's a crime against humanity in my book. It's insane. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And, you know, another really compelling argument for the damage that vaccines do is the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Sure. Well, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program was put into place uh, back in the late 80s because because of the 1986 Vaccine Act that, that exempted manufacturers from lawsuits. That's what we talked about earlier in the program. So the vaccine manufacturers went to Congress and said, unless you exempt us from lawsuits because we're getting sued so much, we are not going to make vaccines in the United States anymore. Well, the CDC and Congress couldn't have that, so they exempted them from liability, and that's what happened. Well, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Trust was put in a place after that to award families that were damaged or their children were damaged from vaccines to award them some money. But since you couldn't sue the manufacturer, they placed an excise tax on vaccines as they're being sold. So it's kind of like a sales tax is put on vaccines. I think it's a quarter a dose. So that goes into the trust. And then when their family mm. is damaged, their, chid, their child's damaged, whatever, the money pulls out of that trust and it's paid to the, to the, uh, the family of the damaged child. So it's not necessarily the, the vaccine manufacturer doesn't get sued. It just comes out of the trust, which is put in place. So, and actually what's interesting is that when you, when you um, sue, you're a parent, your, your child's damaged by a vaccine and you sue, you don't sue Merck, you don't sue Pfizer, you sue the U.S. government. You are suing the, the director of health and human services when you sue because that, that the government is what runs the trust funds. You're actually suing the government and we've had over $3.7 billion, that's with a B, since the late 80s that had been paid out to families of damaged children where the government conceded that the vaccine had damaged their kid or killed their kid and that they needed to be awarded some money. $3.7 billion have been paid out. So if anybody says vaccines have been proved, but vaccines never hurt anybody. They are, it's, it's one in a million that they hurt. Uh, it's a lot more than that. And the U.S. government has conceded that because they're the one that has paid out $3.7 billion in the last 30 years to damaged families. The answer might be obvious, but why does Congress, why does the U.S. government care whether the pharmaceutical companies make money with the vaccines, why, you know, whether there are vaccines? Like, what's in it for them? Because the vaccine lobby is the biggest lobby. The drug lobby, the vaccine lobby is the biggest lobby in the world. They pay our congressmen, our senators, our representatives. They buy them off. That's what lobbyists do. They basically buy off the government. The, the vaccine drug lobby is bigger than the oil lobby, Teresa. And I was blown away. I did an interview with Bobby Kennedy out in California about that. And he mentioned, he said, did you know that the vaccine lobby is the biggest lobby in the world? I had no idea. 
but they put more money towards getting their positions passed through Congress and, and making favorable legislation to the vaccine industry. They put more money into that than the oil business does. Are the same vaccines that are allowed in the U.S. allowed in Europe? You know, that, that's a good question. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the vaccines that we use here are not allowed in Europe, and some of them have been changed to be able to meet their safety standards, such as Japan. Um, there are several vaccines li- like the DTaP that, have, that are made differently in Japan than they're made here. And the, the reason is because the vaccines here, because of the, 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 the act here, the 86 Act, the, the companies can't be sued. So there's no incentive for them to make a cleaner vaccine, where in other countries they can be sued and they are being sued. And so there is incentive to have, so they have different versions of the vaccines. It's kind of like, you know, in, uh, if you've seen the meme, at like uh, McDonald's in the UK, mm-hmm. the, the ingredients in their food is way different than the United States. It's much cleaner overseas than it is here. Why? Because mm-hmm. that's what they demand. They demand cleaner food. And it's the same with the vaccines. We do not demand clean vaccines here because we've, We've uh, exempted all the manufacturers from liability. There is no way we can demand uh, clean vaccines because there's no repercussions against the companies if they produce dirty vaccines. There's just uh, the whole system is rigged against vaccines ever getting cleaner or safer here because you can't sue the manufacturers. So there's no incentive for them to make them better. You know, it's it's amazing, right? We talk about, you know, what a great country we are and the laws that we have in place, and it's all about the consumer, et cetera. But our food, the quality of our food, the quality of the ingredients in our food, the quality of the ingredients in our cosmetics, uh, our skin care, other countries have stricter standards. We are like the garbage dump for these companies. They can put out whatever yeah. they want, and we just take it. It, it's really it. sad. It, it's really sad, and you're you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, I, I, one of the places that I traveled was to Riga, Latvia, to do some interviews for our our Global Quest Cancer docu series. And one of the things that blew me away there is, you know, you think of Riga, Latvia, Latvia, third world nation or a Soviet bloc nation. You know, you think it's like you're, you're going to maybe get lost in the in the wilderness and thrown into a concentration camp was the idea that I had going to Latvia. But the reality is, it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And the reality is they don't allow GMOs there, and the people are all healthy. There's hardly any obesity in Latvia and because they have farm-to-table restaurants, and they demand clean food. They don't let GMOs in the country. Same with Russia. Russia's they ban GMOs in Russia. Um, we, we have them because we let them give them to us. We take it, we, we, you know, and, and that's sad. I wish it weren't that way, but it is. I was, I was in a, a grocery store a couple years ago, and I was talking to an elderly lady about – eating organic uh, non-GMO yogurt. I was buying some yogurt and she's, she started discussing that with me and we talked for a minute and her husband was in the background and I just, I told him, I was telling her, you need to be sure to stay away from genetically modified organisms. And he's nodding his head in the background. He said, you're right, you know, you're right, son. And I, he's probably in his mid eighties. So I didn't take offense at all to him calling me son. He said, you're, you know, you're right, son. I just retired from one of the major doing, uh, you know, beer manufacturing companies in the United States. And uh, he said, we had two different batches of beer. He said, we had a non-GMO batch that went to everywhere else but the United States, including Mexico. Mexico wouldn't allow us to ship them GMO beer. But the United States, we, we have GMO beer. We have genetically modified hops and other ingredients in the beer that the U.S. will allow. So we ship it to them because it's cheaper. That's insane. That's crazy. We allow it ourselves. Is. 
as consumers, we should be, we should be out in the streets, right, demanding mm-hmm. something better. Why are we the garbage dump for these industries? It makes absolutely no sense. It was, it was really interesting to me. Um, some time ago, I um, had a colleague who was from a very small town in Mexico, and we were talking about this whole vaccine issue, and she was telling me how in her very small town in the middle of nowhere, Mexico, Mm-hmm. vaccines were mandatory. Kids could not go to school without vaccines. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's everywhere. It it's is. everywhere. Now, what Mexico permits in their vaccines, I have no idea, right? But the pharmaceutical industry worldwide has figured out a way to make vaccines mandatory for every child in yep. most countries. It's, it's what a business model. It is. It's it's insane that that happens, but it it is more of a worldwide thing. It's not just here, but but there there are a lot of countries where vaccines are mandated. Um, I interviewed um, a journalist named Mario Lama, and he's from Colombia, uh, in the Truth About Vaccines, and he mentioned the fact that the, you know the Gardasil vaccine, which is it's it's one of the most toxic vaccines on the market. If you're going to let your kid get injected with Gardasil. it's it's a very very high probability that they're going to be damaged. But um, he mentioned a. a a, a little town in Colombia, there's about 700 girls that got the Gardasil vaccine, and all 700 were damaged. Mm. And and he, he had film of them. He and some of them committed suicide because they went to the health officials, and they were all of them said they were that they were having these symptoms, and they told they were told that they were making it up, that they were becoming hysterical, that there was nothing wrong with them, that it was all psychosomatic. And several of the, the young ladies, literally, I mean, we're we're talking about young teenage girls killed kill themselves. Because nobody believed them that they were damaged and they were accused of being hysterical and falsifying, you know, making stuff up. So the, I got that interview with him. It was just blown away that we had we have towns where everyone has been damaged and we don't hear anything about it. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, let's say that there were a town where in Colombia, so you use the same country, the same everything town in Colombia where 700 girls drank, um, were given raw milk. And hmm. they all and they all got stomach aches. It would be all over every newspaper, every television station, every cable station in the world would be covering this town in Colombia that the 700 girls got sick from raw milk. We should ban raw milk. I guarantee you, they would. They've done it before in the United States, but we didn't hear anything about this. Nobody knew about this happening. Why? Because vaccines are the sacred cow of the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism. It's a it's a religion. It's a faith that vaccines work when they really don't. And that's one of the reasons that, that pediatricians and doctors have such a hard time with this, because they have been indoctrinated into the faith that vaccines work when they really don't. Do you think most pediatricians get their own kids vaccines? You know, it's, I don't know if I could say most, or m- maybe that's accurate. I can tell you that I've interviewed investigative journalists that themselves have interviewed interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of pediatricians and asked them that very question. And the, the journalists have told me that they believe a majority of pediatricians do not vaccinate their own children with the CDC recommended schedule. Not to say they don't vaccinate them at all, but they do not follow the CDC schedule because they believe it's too much, too soon, too toxic. And, and, that, and that, yes, that would be a majority of pediatricians. Well, you look at the schedule and it really is insane. Just, just from 
a common sense perspective, how does it make sense taking a child and injecting them with 70 vaccines before the age of five? It how makes can no, that make it makes any no sense. sense? Yeah, it, it makes no sense. And, and another thing that makes no sense is that when you see when, when, when pediatricians will fight you tooth and nail and tell you the vaccine ingredients do not get into the child's brain. It just the blood brain barrier is there. The, 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 it's impossible for these vaccines to cause brain damage. And then you look at the list of ingredients in the vaccines. And if it contains polysorbate 80, which a majority of the vaccines today contain polysorbate 80, which is an emulsifier. But it's also, it's not just an emulsifier, it's a substance that's used by pharmaceutical companies to get ingredients and substances to pass through the blood-brain barrier. Hmm. That's why it's used. So if you have a vaccine that contains the emulsifier polysorbate 80, it is carrying those ingredients through the blood-brain barrier. That's the purpose of polysorbate 80. And if you also have that coupled with aluminum or tamarisol, mercury, right? then we know that those ingredients, which are known neurotoxins, aluminum and mercury, we know cause brain damage. We can rest assured that those ingredients are getting into the brains of the children to which they're being injected because the polysorbate 80 is there for that very reason, to carry it through the blood-brain barrier. So if a pediatrician does, disagrees with that, they should stop being a pediatrician because they don't understand the science that polysorbate 80 ensures those ingredients get to the brain. So are those ingredients necessary? So assume, let's assume, right, clean slate, let's assume the concept of vaccines really works, right? The concept of, um, uh, of antibodies uh, in your body can create an, uh, an immune defense against certain diseases. Yes. Why are those neurotoxin ingredients necessary? And, and I would agree that, that, that the concept of immunization is a valid concept and that the production of antibodies can fight disease and so forth. I, I'm not against that concept, natural immunization. But the question is, is vaccination the same as natural immunization? That's another discussion altogether, but I just want to throw that out there. It's certainly not. But why are those ingredients in there? Well, the aluminum is there. It's an adjuvant. It's, it's there to cause the, the immune system. It's to stir up the immune system so that it creates a response against that vaccine. That's why the aluminum's there. The problem is that when we have aluminum mixed with polysorbate 8, the aluminum gets to the brain. So in aluminum, we know that aluminum can cause brain damage. So are there other adjuvants that could work just as well as aluminum that aren't as toxic? Yes, but they don't use them. The tamarisol, the mercury, it's cheaper. Aluminum's cheap. That's one of the things that I've, that I've uh, we were in Congress, literally, we were in Congress, we were taught, I was with Bobby Kennedy, Del Bigtree, and a whole group of people that were meeting with congressmen and senators about this very vaccine issue. And we were sitting in the, in the, the office of a congressman from Texas, who's a medical doctor, and Bobby Kennedy asked him, what about tamarisol being in the vaccines? That's mercury. And that's Bobby's big thing is we should get tamarisol out, which it's not out. It's still in the vaccines. Even if it says tamarisol free, they still contain it. And if it's, if it's a multidose flu vaccine, we know it contains 600 parts per billion of tamarisol, which is 250 times the amount that's in, in toxic waste. So Bobby's question to this senator was why? How could you as a medical doctor condone injecting a child with neurotoxin like mercury when you could when you could formulate these vaccines without it, because it's used as a preservative, you could use another preservative that's less toxic and, and still get the same effect. 
And he said it, it might be a little bit more expensive, maybe a couple of pennies a dose, maybe a nickel a dose, but we could make it a lot safer for children. And the, the senator looked at us literally, and he said, look at my office. You can tell I pinch pennies. This is a U.S. senator. You can tell I pinch pennies. No, I'm sorry, not a senator. He's a congressman in the House. He says, look at my office. Do I look like I would like to save money on vaccines? He said, if I could save a nickel a dose, I would give a mercury. I would give the vaccine with mercury to my own children because it would save me money. I couldn't. We literally at that point, there were several expletives that were said by some of the guys that were there that couldn't believe that he just said that. And we all left the office. And I've never heard. I've never heard so many frustrated guys in the hall going, can you believe that a congressman just told me? He would give mercury to his kid knowing it would brain damage his kid if he could save a nickel. But that's what that is because I guarantee you he's making money from the, he's, from the lobbyists or, or paying him off, and that's what's happening. And that's why it's hard to get a fair shake because there's so much money being given to these sellouts in Congress and, and, and in the House. Ty, if you didn't witness it for yourself, I bet you'd find that story hard to believe. I wouldn't believe it, but I, we have it on film too, by the way. We, we had, we were, a, cu- a couple of people were recording. So we do have verification that that was said, but I, we were blown away. I couldn't believe it that this guy, this, this, this guy that calls himself a medical doctor would say that he would give his own kid. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what? okay, that blew me away. I know we've just got one, one more minute. Talk about the issue of mandatory vaccines. Let's say um, – Everything you've said is false. Let's just say it's all baloney. Shouldn't I have the right to decide what goes into my body or what goes into my child's body? Yep. That's, that is the fundamental uh, d- discussion point that we should all focus on. Whether it does not matter your position on vaccines, whether they're, they're safe, effective, or they're not, or they're somewhere in between. In a free country, medical procedures cannot be mandated on the citizens. There must always be a choice when it comes to medical procedures that have admitted consequences and admitted side effects. That We know that because $3.7 billion have been paid out to families of damaged children over the last 30 years. So we know there are side effects. We know there is damage done. When there is potential to damage, we must always have freedom of choice. And that's the problem that these, these, these uh, vaccines are being mandated on our children. We do not have freedom of choice in states like California. Can't go to school if you're not vaccinated. That's the problem. We've lost our freedom. And, and actually, I would say whether it's proven to be effective or not effective or proven to harm or not harm. I agree. If I don't want it, I don't want it. Right? I agree. I it it doesn't have to have, yeah, I agree. It doesn't have to have any side effects. If you don't want it, you don't want it. People should leave you alone. Right. Exactly. Yep. Well, your enthusiasm, your passion, um, you know, so many conflicting opinions on, on the issue of vaccines, and there are facts. There are absolute facts, right? Yep. And so to navigate through this world, I would go check out The Truth About Vaccines. It pulls together the research and the experts that can help you make an informed decision for yourself, for your family. Um, go check it out. Ty, what websites would you recommend our listeners go to? They can just go to thetruthaboutvaccines.com. And if you want to learn more about cancer, thetruthaboutcancer.com. So that'll get you there. We have a lot of free information on, on all the websites. Thank you so much, Ty, for joining us today. And uh, really appreciate your fight 
for the truth. And thank you, Teresa. You put out there. Yeah, thank you so much, Teresa. Always enjoy talking to you. Let's have to let's do it again soon. Absolutely. God bless. Take care. Okay. God bless you too. Thank you. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.